0: This is an interesting story, and I've got to be honest, I don't know too much about this crime, but Elsie Walker, she went missing in Papamoa, but her body was found in rural, or was rural at the time, Pamua in Auckland. Can you start off with a little bit of background, perhaps? Who was Elsie Walker, and did she grow up on the East Cape?
1: She did, and in fact, um, you know, I grew up in the in the 1970s, and, you know, there was, that was the era of the um, motorised offender and you, you know Mona blades and, and the the Korean murders that they were the you know the ultimate mysterious um, unsolved murders but for a generation before that for many many years it was it was the mysterious death of Elsie Elsie Walker so Elsie was a 17 year old girl who lived in, in on the east cape in a little little remote hamlet called Rococo which is just up the coast from Tikaha and um her older sister had the benefit, like a lot of um, children in that era, that the older children had the benefit of a um, secondary education, and her older sister spent some time in Auckland, and Regale tells of, of Elsie, of, of Auckland, you know, to Elsie, and she um, all she wanted to do was was to go to Auckland to become a dressmaker, but her father forbade it because she wasn't really that great academically, um, but she rebelled, and but a con- a sort of like a concession was reached and Elsie was able to go to Papamoa where um, her father's sister had married into an affluent uh, farming family and she was to be to work as a housemaid for her for her relatives for her cousins. But when she actually got there, uh, you know, she found that um, she was treated like nothing more than a slave. Um, she never had her own bedroom. She lived on an annex off the uh, main bedroom of her aunt and uncle. And yeah, she was treated like a slave by um, by her relatives, including you know her five um, male cousins.
0: And what era are we talking? It's like the early twenties, <coughs> isn't it?
1: Yeah, we're talking about the mid to late 1920s, where it was, you know, um, girls back then didn't really, um, you know, go into any profession other than, um, you know, work in a factory or, or work as a, um, a as a housemaid, um, and and it was um, a lot lot of girls from that era. That's what they they did until they, you know, found husbands. Yeah. Mm.
0: Uh, so she moved from Gisborne or the East Cape to Papamoa. She mm. was a housemaid. Did they did they still treat her with respect?
1: Um, no, and you know, I, I had access to the you know the police files, which is some of the biggest files I've ever seen in my life because they, you know, they contained in twelve boxes and it's you know massive. And so I went through all of the papers and certainly a lot of the witness statements, including the family themselves, say that um, you know they mistreated Elsie. Um, you know, she was allowed to eat with them, but then you know her daily task was to look after the three-year-old and then her auntie, who was um, Constance Bailey, who was a um, sort of uh, loved her, her place in high society. so she basically mm. had to follow her, her auntie around from you know morning tea to morning tea and just sit there in the corner. So she you know she if she had hope for some sort of lease of, of freedom, um, she was sadly mistaken.
0: Oh, that's really sad. So then tell me what happened after that because uh, she disappeared really randomly,'t didn't, didn't she?
1: yeah well a a few unusual things happened in the days before she disappeared and that um she was acting a little bit um oddly she had hit her head um on a window while she was cleaning the window and had to sit down um and her aunt claimed later that you know after that she would just sort of daze into into space but on the night she disappeared um there was nothing unusual the family were hosting a relative um, a, a young woman of elsie's age who had come down from auckland and regaled sort of stories about um, seeing Charles Kinsard Smith, you know, land his plane. And Elsie had to do the washing up. And she was a little bit, I guess, perhaps embarrassed or or, or jealous even. And um, she certainly seemed to be acting a little bit oddly. And um, that night um, she was last seen putting the scraps of of rubbish outside. And one of her older cousins was coming home from a dance, and he noticed the family vehicle wasn't in its in its garage, placed in its garage, and so um, they, he didn't really think too much of it um, until the next morning when they woke up and found that Elsie had disappeared as well as the car. Um, they, it, it was quite, it was regarded, you know, quite oddly because you know Elsie couldn't drive. Um, there was, you know, there was no apart from her um, behaviour. It was her odd behavior it was thought that she, maybe she you know got a little bit of um felt a little bit jealous and then stole the family car and driven to auckland and sure mm. enough the vehicle was found the next day in Pamua and then a day later her body was found in bush under um well in, in bush near mount wellington now you know back then in 1928 pam and mount wellington were very very much rural areas they're not built up wasn't built up so um you know the, the vehicle was found um the tire had been changed the and Elsie certainly, oh. mm, really odd. And, and who you know, found her
0: body? Uh, Sorry to
1: interrupt. But- um, yeah, it was it was just a, um, two boys who were out. Um, you, you know, the the, the, the the area where her body was found was was you know great. Yeah, it was great big fields and, and bush, and so you know these boys were out on an adventure, and they came across this body, and they alerted the police. And when when the authorities came, they you know they. Saw that she was dressed in her um, her maid's outfit you know, in a in a coat, and um, which was odd for that time because it, you know anybody that wanted to go out of the family home, um, you know w- whatever class you're in or, or whatever um, city you lived in, um, you would always dress up in your Sunday best. So it was it was regarded that um, this was quite unusual for this housemaid to be still found in her housemaid's outfit. But there was no outward signs or um, of um, of her. Of a, of a death, of a violent death, there was like a 10-cent size pee, bruise to her forehead that was the only sign of any injury. So, um, you know, they, they, they took the body back and um, they initially thought that maybe she had hit her head or maybe she'd ingested some sort of poison, mm-hmm. and certainly that was the view for a wee while. But just the whole manner of, of, her, um, of her disappearance was just out of character, you know, because she, she couldn't drive, um, so and and she would have taken the car if that theory holds. And she driven would have taken a long way,
0: Pamua to Papamoa, yeah.
1: Well, well, you know the Kaimais were impassable at that stage. It took often, often uh, on a rainy on a rainy day, it took often a day to pass. So she would have had to have gone to Rotorua and then um, then up, and you know the Bombays were were by you know, le- less better because, you know, they it was it was really a dirt track. So, you know, this girl who had never driven before, had never been to Auckland before, had no reason to go to Auckland because she knew no one there. You know, and she and, and, and furthermore, she was dressed in a maid's outfit which she you know she wouldn't have done. You and know you, her body and, arrives
0: Yeah and you mentioned the tyre. Someone had changed the tire.
1: And somebody changed the tire, mm, yeah.
0: Okay. Is there anything else we need to know about the body? I mean, not going into too much detail, but there was no sort of sign of a sexual attack or anything like that.
1: Not at that stage. I mean, the the, the police went with the theory that perhaps she'd she'd um, you know driven off in, a, in a, a fit of jealousy and banged her head, changed the tyre, banged her head, and then wandered off in a daze and then crawled under the bush and died. And so, um, the, the the police weren't really getting anywhere too fast with that and then when they received um, sort of the hurry along from the then commissioner because by this stage um, the truth newspaper were getting involved hmm. and and i, I need to here that the truth newspaper was was uh, most people remember as a scandalous rag but back in the 1920s it was one of the few newspapers that covered you know a lot of information quite thoroughly uh, even though it was a little bit far-fetched but the Truth Reporter and Esker's book about the truth mentions that they had some of the most, um, you, you know, colourful writers or colourful journalists, and these these people were putting together stories. Basically, the Truth Reporter was following the the police from door to door, and then they were making up stories as they went. But it, the the stories were you know quite dramatic, but. And it reached a point where the police weren't getting anywhere with their case, and they brought in a a detective called James Bickerdike from Christchurch. Now, Bickerdike was one of those hard-nosed detectives who, he was really, at this point in his career, he was really wanting a win because he, uh, in in my book, Shot in the Dark, which Mm. covers the Elsie Walker case Mm. in the chapter beforehand, tells of another unsolved murder of a girl in Christchurch, another um, housemaid, and Bickerdike you know, was he couldn't secure a conviction for that murder, and so he was really wanting, um, wanting a, a victory here, and so he was brought in, and he cha- he had a look at the at, at the statements of the Baileys and um, and he actually decided to send the cloth, Elsie's clothing, away for um, blood analysis, and all of a sudden, one point that the, the the pathologist came back with an addendum to the original statement to say we believe that um, Elsie Walker had died as a result of a blow to the head. Now this. I, I can't begin to say how much this actually surprised the senior police, but it also, it brought in a new track. So they were able to go down the avenue of, okay, so she may have been killed by somebody who was it. Um, the, Elsie's clothing at this stage had come back and, and it found semen stains on her bloomers huh? and, and blood, which happened in the period um, immediately before um, you know, she disappeared. So forensic science today would be able to confirm who it was, but um, Bickerdike placed a lot of pressure on the Bailey family and um, and and it was concluded that, you know, the semen had arrived on her bloom as, as a result of her skylarking with one of the Bailey boys, um, you know, her cousins. Um, so which one of them it was, you know, no one would admit to. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it changed the whole thing and so so that the Commission wanted to hurry along the inquest went ahead um, now the police decided to close in on one of the five Bailey boys and that was bill Bill Bailey he was the oldest one and he was 21 at that stage and about a month before Elsie um, disappeared or, or, or was killed or mm-hmm. died mm-hmm. Um, bill left in a, in a, in a in a hurry and moved to Auckland because he bill was the local ladies man he was a, a also a bit of a troublemaker And he got his um, 15-year-old neighbor uh, pregnant. And so he basically escaped from Auckland, escaped to Auckland with the help of his mother and set up there, uh, they tried to set him up on a farm. Now, um, there was a thought that Bill may have you know, somehow come back to Papamoa because he was at this stage, his father had kind of disinherited him for when he found out about the scandal. So he was left to his own devices and he didn't have work. And so it was thought that you know, he, he might have snuck back on the train overnight, and because the, the, at that stage, the main trunk railway went straight through the Bailey's property in Papamoa, so oh. as it slowed down, he could have jumped off jumped and, off. and, and
0: grabbed jumped car. off, got,
1: got mm. into the house and grabbed the car, but he also also there was money missing from the Bailey household, so um, as well as some of the jewellery, yet Elsie's purse with her meagre savings, and it was still on the table, so um. Bickerdike came up with a theory that maybe Elsie was well, while she was cleaning the rubbish had caught Bill outside and um, and Bill was, was robbing the house looting the house and 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 perhaps she there's a confrontation him. and then he yeah. hit her. And and because the other interesting aspect to that is that where the car was found was pretty close to where Bill had first moved to Auckland a month earlier. So the inquest went for a week and it was by this stage it was it was really high profile. And Bill went on, took the stand, and it, he must have thought that he was on trial for his life because you know the um, Vincent Meredith, who was the um, Crown Prosecutor at that stage, was pretty relentless in his in his cross examination and had to be held back by the magistrate um, to say, "Hey, look, this isn't a murder trial. This is an inquest. We need to find out the cause of death." Um, did he have in, a in the him? end
0: Yeah. Did, what, what did he say?
1: Bill. Well, Bill had a number of alibis and mainly from his his wife his new wife as well as um, other people but later it came out that people couldn't confirm the date that they did see Bill so it was a little bit eerie fairy but certainly at that time um, they you know were regarded with credence and you know the whole um, the whole sort of theory that Bill might have killed his cousin um, if there was a sexual motive you know people were very conservative conservative back then and, you know, it was probably doubtful.
0: Yeah. And can you tell me, what sort of forensic technology did they have back then? Because, yeah, my brain is just um, boggling, thinking well, we'd be able to solve that crime ASAP if it was these days because of our technology but did they have fingerprints and everything like that back in those days?
1: They did and the car was fingerprinted. It was extremely dusty but um, you know, they could find no fingerprints on it and when um, Elsie was stripped at the morgue, um, her clothes were put in like a um, a closet, and it stayed. And they stayed there for months until they de- you know, until they determined that she didn't die of poisoning, and until somebody came out and thought, "Hey, we better send the um, the bloomers and the clothes off for forensic testing." But Professor Armitage, who was the um, government bacteriologist at that stage, who tested for blood mm. um, and semen analysis, he couldn't really give a um, an accurate um, guess as to who it was, um, because you know the clothes by that stage had dried up. Um, he ah. could confirm that that the, that the semen likely would have come from the Bailey's, somebody in the Bailey family. But at that stage, you know, still in forensic science, still in infancy, it, he couldn't narrow down exactly who. Oh
0: my gosh! So, did they ever have a funeral for her?
1: Yep, they did. It was um, attended by um, by. Um, bills bill and his father um, Bill's father came up and he he put himself in charge of, of, of the funeral she was buried at Purua Cemetery and Elsie's dad came up from the coast um, for the day and then headed back on the on the train but um, the 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 fact that that there was death by misadventure just wasn't accepted by the public and by this stage there's a, a big Furore and um, the, the the Minister of Justice lobbied for Parliament to put a commission inquiry to, to work out how come the police didn't know about or changed their the attack about the um you know an accidental death to a possible death by, you know, death by a blow to the head. So the police, you know uh, the police went on, on trial and they said, well, actually, we were flawed by the pathologist's change in their opinion, whereas the pathologist said, well, actually, we only co- we didn't come to that conclusion first because we thought that she'd been poisoned. Um, it was only after that we determined she wasn't poisoned that um, we, we thought that the only logical sign of an injury there was that small blow to the head that she must have died from the blow to the head so um the police were were um under the knife at that stage and so and all, all the while the truth newspaper you know every week it's a you know there's a new story any little tidbit of information was made and elaborated into this massive story and if you i encourage listeners to go into papers past where the truth in 1928 and 29 is accessible and if you read week by week the um the the articles about elsie walker and you compare them to say the chapter in my book which i believe is is quite comprehensive Mm. there are two very very different stories yet both are quite plausible and quite um well and quite engaging the truth paper is 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 you know highly fictional and i'll give you an example of a story in that um when the police were first searching the area where Alice was found they found a minty wrapper so you know the, the yeah. you know um the minties were, were have been around longer than we have and it was it was determined later that one of the boy scouts because there's a boy scouts hall sort of quite close by that one of the boy scouts had dropped a, a minty wrapper but when the truth heard about this you know then they then they um made a whole article about well, poor Elsie Walker was sitting on a, you know, uh, on, on a picnic blanket, possibly eating a minty while her killer was, you know, walking around and about to strike her type thing. And, and you know, you, you read that and it's it's like, wow, yeah, that's quite amazing. But, um, you know, it was all this whole story was elaborated over this, you know, this innocent minty rapper.
0: Oh my gosh, it's it's very, it's, I feel very sad for this case, like it, she sounds like she was just in a terrible situation, but it went unresolved, didn't it? Like no one was charged.
1: No one was charged, and you, you know, um, after the um, com- commission of inquiry, even um, a, a neighbour of Constance Bailey wrote to her to say that, she, you know, I've got, um, I saw Bill Bailey on the train that day, yet when this woman was interviewed earlier, um, she, you know, she said that she didn't hear anything. Um, so Constance went to the police and said, and they set up this this type of, you know, this operation in this hotel room. And you know, back in the day, there was no recording devices. So there's that there's a record in uh, in, um, in my book where Constance Bailey is talking to this woman and it's, she's clumsily trying to you know induce a bribe out of this woman, and this woman's sort of you know. Standoffish, and you can. And in the meantime, the detective is in the um, closet next door with a notebook trying to, you know, write in shorthand a re- recording of this, um, you know, of this um, alleged bribery. But so um,
0: Bill Bailey's mother was trying to mm. bribe the woman who s- thought she saw Bill Bailey on the train.
1: Well, this woman was trying to bribe Bill Bailey's mum, and, um, and oh. Bill Bailey's mum was, was up for it, but she got the police involved, and this woman wouldn't come out and say name a price. But you could tell that Constant was saying, "Well, what can I do? What do you want me to do?" And this woman says, "Well, you tell me what you want me to do." So it went back and forward like that mm. um, for about an hour. Um, you know, so but but when that made the news, uh, the fact that Bill was seen on a train, that resulted in another commission of inquiry where the public by the stage were you know there were there were marches and to parliament there were demonstrations in, in the civic square in auckland um, asking the police to reopen elsie's case oh really but so it was, police, it was quite
0: a big public yeah, thing yeah
1: it was massive uh, all around the country and you know elsie was uh you know a timid 17 year old girl so you know what she would have made of it you know who who knows but she would have been probably quite embarrassed but the police at that stage couldn't reopen the case but a, a law was passed later that if new information came to hand then the authorities had the um you know were able to reopen a, a case but they couldn't with elsie so she, you know her case went unsolved for years but bill bailey uh, i I'd probably need to 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 explain that you know even though there was no radio and no tv people read the newspaper and bill bailey's name was mentioned all throughout and so everybody knew Bill Bailey and by this stage he had moved to a to one of his father's farms to manage one of the father's farms in Ru Wadu which is just slightly northeast of sorry northwest of of, of Huntley mm. quite a remote area and bill had um, fallen out with his neighbors um, Sam and Christabel lakey to the point there, there was a massive feud and Bill went over one day and, and had a go at them about something and Mrs. Lakey accused him of killing Elsie Walker and we expect the same. And, um, you know, one day in 1933, um, farmers noticed, farmers in the area noticed that the Lakey's milk hadn't been taken or taken down for collection. And they went to go search the farm for for them and found Pet Lakey or um, Christabel's Lakey's body um, she she had been beaten to death and her and her body was was um, laid out in a pond and they couldn't find Sam Lakey mm. and they they searched for days and days but some t- quite um, astute detectives who come down from Auckland searched the the garden and the the fence line and found burnt bits of of um, was later determined to be Sam Lakey so in short what happened was that um, Sam Lakey may have been shot death shot. Dead and then his body put in a um, like a, a oil drum, oh. and burnt beyond you know and and so his remains were scattered beyond the farm and so Bill Bailey was the likeliest suspect and so um, you know he went to trial and he was indeed um, found guilty of the double murder and hanged.
0: Oh no way! And mm. and they didn't open the other case at all, the Elsie Walker no. case.
1: No, no. So effectively, that Elsie that Walker's case is still unresolved.
0: Oh my gosh. There is a turn. Mm. The the mm. Lakey deaths. So what do you know anything about what the Bailey family did after he murdered his neighbors? You know, did they disown him or was there any, you know, did they turn up to court or support his son?
1: Well, they did, and, and, and Constance Bailey was, you know, at his side all throughout, you know, and she would probably admit to, up to her dying day that Bill was innocent of everything. Um, certainly, that the, the Baileys were quite a well respected family in the wider uh, Papa Ma'a Te community, and the whole scandal, you know, certainly back in the day. Um, you know, they they pretty much withdrew into themselves. I I know that um, when I researched the book, I did get in contact with um, members of Elsie's um, descendants, or not so much her immediate descendants, but um, she had three brothers and three sisters. So I contacted some descendants uh, who were quite elderly then who don't recall Elsie, but know all about the case. And, you know, they don't have much love for, you know, the the Bailey family, um, you know, even, perhaps to this day. Right. They certainly believe that he was he was guilty. Whereas, you know, there, there was, um, it's probably unfair to blame Bill for Elsie's death because it was it was never proved. And as I say, he did have alibis. Um, uh, some of them, and I certainly believe that the uh, sighting on the train uh, by Mrs Thompson, the mm. lady next door, mm. was, was false. And it was only, a, um, I mean, in the end, she sold her story to the truth and got quite a bit of money out of it.
0: Oh, which probably may have been a lie anyway.
1: I'd say so, because um, Bill would have come, if Bill had, had um, killed Elsie, he would have come on the overnight train um, in the dead of night, which was a goods train. Um, he would have easily been able to stow aboard, whereas Mrs Thompson and Mrs Langdon, the, um, the the two sisters, they claim to have seen Bill, you know, at some point during a day, a couple of days before. Mrs Langdon, when she was interviewed, um, first denied it, but then after meeting up with his sister, then told Truth that, no, he definitely was on the train because I saw him first.
0: Oh my gosh, it's so uncomfortable Um, (laughs) thinking how sad this is and that he was never charged or that, you know, no one was ever charged for her death. You know, there's a lot of cases that sometimes get reopened years and years on. Is this case, could it ever be reopened, do you think?
1: Oh, look, I I don't think so. Um, Certainly, you know, reading the police file, um, you know, they, they did everything in their power to get to the bottom of it. And I'm not saying that um, Detective Bickerdike, you know, resorted to, um, you know, anything untoward. He was just looking for a different angle because the original theory was just so far-fetched, yet it, it wasn't logical. Um, so, you know, they had to go down a different tact. And placing pressure on the Bailey family certainly opened up more avenues of inquiry. Um, if if Elsie's killer was, was alive today, which I seriously doubt, um, then I still think that the case wouldn't be reopened. You know, so much time has passed. Um, you know, Elsie's um, bloomers and her clothing, um, I've got photos of that in my book, mm. but they are still held at archives. In fact, the police museum may have them now, um, but, you know, you, you wouldn't be able to get anything from them. But certainly if that scenario happened today, if Elsie mm. disappeared today, and we go through the same scenario, there's no doubt in my mind that that case wouldn't be solved um, immediately.
0: Do you think you know who killed, I mean, would you, could you say, I think Bill Bailey did it?
1: Um, I do think that Bill Bailey was responsible, um, but then I've also... Um, look, I've been mailing this over for years Yikes. and years. Um, but I do wonder whether or not, you know, uh, Frank Bailey, who's, you know, the, the, the patriarch of the household, you know, he may have had something to do with it too.